Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the bunker. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing, game-wise. With such a big time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, or thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold, as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly and with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with Academy Games boss Uva Eichert. Uva? Yes, can you hear me now better? I can. There's a little a little bit of breakup, but I think it'll work out. Let's okay, talk. tell you what, I will move to a different part of the house. No, it's good. No, you're not breaking up web-wise. You're waking, breaking up probably because the phone's too close to your mouth. Well, let me let me let me turn my laptop or let me put my laptop away, and I'm going to walk into because um, I do not know if Skype uses my web connection or if it uses the tower. Is this better or worse than the old way? This is better, but you're over-modulating, which means you're holding the mic too close to your mouth. Okay, well, let me let me put it away. Let me go get my – let me pull my cane up here. Let me put my phone in my pocket here. Get out of the stupid lazy boy. Now my cord is stuck to the lazy boy. And I'm going to walk my way over – out of the living room to the north side of the house. Let me give that a try. Hold on, please. Okay, how's this now? So that's good. You still got the mic very close to your mouth. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to move it away. How about now? Um, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, well, let's, let's do this. I'm going to take, I'm going to use the mic out of my phone. Let's see if that works. Okay. Um, how about now? That sounds great. You know what? I'm going to, let me try one more thing. Yes. I'm going to use my, my bone shocks, the, uh, my bone mics. And let me see if that works. Hold on, please. Testing, testing, testing. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Just you know, not not too close with the mouth. Okay. Well, these are going through my bone and everything, so it, it's that's going to work I, fine. I, I think we can make this work. Super. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let me know if I have to talk a little louder or or what. Yeah, I think you can moderate and and lower it a little bit. It's get it's getting you good, and I just, we're over modulating just a little bit, but we'll be all right. All right. Well, let me know. Okay, good. Well, uh, thanks for taking my call. And uh, just for context for everybody, we recorded this once and I screwed up and recorded myself on both mics. So um, I appreciate your willingness to fix my problem and my error. Um, and, and thanks for taking the time to talk. Well, it just means that 
subconsciously you think that what you say is twice as important as what I say. So I can understand that. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you an opinion on that. Um, <laughs> so, so three ground rules on a, on a discussion. Uh, first of all, first of all, no, uh, no politics. Second, no medical discussions, uh, except I do want to hear how you're doing with your hip. And then third is no financial market discussions. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Okay. How are you doing with your new hip? You know what? It's been five days now, and it feels feels great. I've uh, been doing great. I had a great doctor. Gave me a total hip replacement. Uh, unbelievably, I was in and out in half an hour. Wow. Now, well, I don't know, though, because what if he, <laughs> a guy who does something in half an hour that takes other guys two hours... Are you sure it they did anything? Here there. But I tell you what, it's been five days. I'm a, didn't, I quit pain medicines after the first day. Just took a little bit of Tylenol now and then, and I feel great. I'm walking with a cane, and I figure after the first week's over, I'll be walking normal with a little bit of a limp with a cane. But it's phenomenal. It's so anybody who who's active and thinks they need a new hip, go out and get a new hip. It's, it's not as bad as you think, and get a good doctor. That takes more than a half hour. Well, well, I, I'll gladly give the guy's name if anybody wants contact. He's uh, phenomenal out of Columbus area. That's great. So he's world-renowned, and um, I was very impressed. He biked from Seattle to Washington, group of four. Every mile he biked, but they did four miles on, four miles off, four hours on, four hours, hours off. They biked across America on bicycles in seven days. Wow. Seven days, they averaged 30 miles an hour. Around the clock, four hours on, four hours off, across the nation, seven days. It, it's like. Is the warranty that you'll uh, be able to do this now when you have a new hip? Well, I've been biking anyway, but I, I can continue doing my uh, high school and, and college tournament games. You know, I've, I'm already scheduled for 40 games for this fall, and I run roughly eight to 10 kilometers a game. And um, that's where it was really bothering me. If it weren't for that, I could have probably lived with the pain, but um, it was, I didn't feel good. You know, when you're running with 18 to 22 year old guys, you got to be able to run. So, um, but it's, it, what they're doing now is, is phenomenal. My mom always said, you know, Uva, you're killing your body. I used to do heavy martial arts, fighting Muay Thai and all that and stick fighting, psych, stick fighting. And she says, you're going to kill your body. You're going to kill your joints. I said, ah, someday I'll just go to Walmart, be out in an hour. No problem. Get a new hip or knees. Little and did you know it's a half hour. Well, well, yeah. I was total by the time from the time I got in to the time I got left because of Darkosa, it was five hours. Wow. But the operation itself was only half an hour. My wife said. So, uh, the guy did sixteen operations that day. But anyway, uh, so much for that. Uh, feeling great. Thank you very much, Harold. And um, I'm loving the sunshine and walking with the dogs with the cane now. And uh, I'll be feeling a lot better after the first week's over next Monday. So um, thank you. But it's 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 like nothing. You don't I don't feel the pain hardly. It's it's just like someone kicked your heart. Nothing. No more. Wow. So it feels pretty good. Wow. Good for you. Well, uh, you. Good. I'm glad you're available to talk about games now post-surgery. What's uh, what's new at, at Academy? Uh, we're we're doing so many cool things, working on a lot of really cool projects. Um, our France 1940, our next Conflict of Heroes, is almost out. 
and it is going to be the German invasion, of course, of Frankreich, of, of, of France, and it will include the Germans, the French, the British, and then people we're also going to give uh, two expansions that are already designed and being done with the Dutch and the Belgians, and the people pre-order will be getting those expansions free with their pre-order. Um, what we're doing very different in this game than other games, each player will have their own mission book with limited enemy uh, information. So you really do not know what the enemy has. You should, it shows you what your Forspeil, what your you recon units have shown, what your air um, logistics have shown, but you really don't know what is hiding in the woods, what's coming to the front, what went where overnight. So after you play a game and you see how the your opponent, not your enemy, but your opponent's set up, you what we changed also is that the players also have from historical um, inventory and assets availability, they can change their unit mix as what was available to them. So if it was a standard like German um, box attack formation, which a box formation was like a rectangular formation a few kilometers deep, anywhere from eight to 10 kilometers deep, 20 kilometers wide, they would move, have several lines of defense and attack going forward, which would give them the best way to uh, counter and, and adjust to battle conditions. And that is one thing that we're also playing with. I'm trying to really bring into, into gameplay, into our future games, this real... Um, tactical mobility that certain segments of both the allies and the Germans had in combat, which have been difficult, which have not really been portrayed that way. Meaning, okay, you have the um, a fourth panzer division here. Well, the entire panzer division is like fighting. And that's not what it was like. You know, the unit, it's infantry support, um, support mobile support, um, uh, weapons support, and the Panza were all in layers. You had your attack heel formations going for Schwerpunkt, but if that wasn't working, then immediately while that was going on, the second echelon would attack a kilometer or two to the right or to the left, where they did perceive them some type of weakness because the enemy reacted to your initial attack. And that was very successful, which a lot of people really don't, don't know about and really um, is not in many manuals. And so we're, we're going to be using a lot more of that in our upcoming Conflict of Heroes. And then also, um, very exciting, we're working with the Marine Corps Association, the Marine Corps assets that have done the um, combat decision-making games, a tactical decision game series. And um, it's going to be our COMOP series. And we're working with them on doing a series of uh, higher-level company to battalion level engagements where like in the old blue red team blue op red teams with a white arbiter but instead of that you're going to instead of doing your pre-ops and and doing your commands and telling how you're going to utilize your assets and what your uh mission plans are your your five stage mission plans um instead you're going to be marking that on the map and then playing it out tactically. So it's not just going to be a matrix type game. It's going to be an actual then 
critical thinking play it out game. And then we're going to have a full um, AARP, uh, AR type of uh, after action report written up where then you can um, compare what you did to what actual military training guidelines um, teach and what their analysis of that situation is. So we have a very, very good team, both the people um, still uh, with the Marine Corps working on it with us, and then also a lot of retired Army and Marine Corps uh, lieutenant colonels and colonels who um, are really in charge of that level of um, uh, unit. So that's a, a very exciting thing. That was just signed a few weeks ago, and we're not advertising it. Pardon me? Will, will that result in a product that will be available to the general public? Uh, portions of it, yes. Good. Uh, portions of the COMOP series will be available to the public, and then others will only be for uh, battalion training and stuff like that. Now, this is not, uh, this is done through the Marine Corps Association. That is the the uh, part that has uh, runs the Marine Corps Gazette and has been putting out these training sessions for officers stationed overseas who went through the tactical decision games, sent in their uh, operational orders that were then analyzed and then sent back to them uh, as as learning techniques. So it's it's a phenomenal phenomenal resource that we have here that we're gonna be working on. And we're going to be doing it in a series of games um, that are going to be um, more by sector. And I'm not gonna go into what sectors we're concentrating on now because that can change and, and not all sectors and all are gonna be um, fully available at first. Sure. What other uh, what other systems are you working on? We've talked a little bit about Gradarian. I'd like to hear an update on what's going on there. Yes, we have um, Panzergruppe, uh, the old Panzergruppe Guderian, a game I love. Uh, we totally reworked it. We talked with Jim Dunnigan, and we are um, totally modernized systems called Guderian's Harvest. And um, with Jeff Lang and Ed Welch, two very well-known war gamers and tournament uh, leaders at PresCon and WBC and conventions like that, many of you know them. They came to us with this idea of redoing that phenomenal game. Um, we have totally modernized it, updated it. Uh, it is now it's now cutting edge game. It is we are now there are no more charts. There's no more looking things up. You are playing in the present, back and forth. There are no rounds. It's continual play throughout the battle. Uh, historical, we've added actual historical events, happenings into the game around the time that they actually did happen, could have happened, or should have happened. And so for those of you who know that knew that incredible, incredible game, um, that is now almost done. We worked for three and a half, four years with them on that system. And finally, then Gunta and I... Uh, had a brainstorm session last week, spend two and a half days just going through the engine, modifying, tweaking little things that Ed and Jeff had sent, and turning one part of it totally on its head 
but very, very neat, unique system now. And I think people have a lot of fun. That'll be the first game in the series. The second game in the series is going to be Anzio in Italy. Wow. Can you, you're, you're making major revisions on the combat system. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Uh, yes. On the combat system now, we took the same probabilities and everything that was in the base game, modernized a little with, with, with modern you know, resources that we have. <clears throat> but now every unit, there are no charts or anything. And these are some ideas that we've used in past games and now that have been used also by some of the other companies out there. But every unit has its own, has a symbol or two or three symbols on their unit chit. It'll be a red square, which is a red die. It'll be a yellow diamond, which is a yellow eight-sider. And it is a green 12-sider, uh, green uh I forgot what the image is, but you can tell it's a 12-sider. Um, it doesn't show 12 sides. I think it's an eight-sided. It's a hexagonal, no, hexa six, octagonal image, a green octagonal image. When you see that, let's say you have a Punsa core, uh, and the individual divisions of the core each have, let's say, a red and a yellow die. On that die there are a probability of a pansa hitting an opponent on a six-sider, a very um, powerful pansa core coming in, let's say to an infantry division, uh, a 66% chance to hit. That means all the probability charts, let's say it was 66%, except if you were in woods, then you had to add these modifiers, or if you went over rivers, it changed things, but then in cities, uh, you attack cities, it again changed the probability odds. But if there were tanks in cities, there was all gone. It's built into the system. Now, on a six, on a six-sider, four faces are going to have symbols on them. If you roll a face without a symbol, it's a miss. You missed. But on the other four faces of the six-sider, like in the original, four sides or 666% hit probability have symbol. If you roll symbol, it's a hit. But if the symbol equals the train that the defender is in, it's a miss. So these symbols have two cities, one woods, and one river symbol. So if you're in woods being attacked, guess what? And one six chance, 16.6% chance probability that your odds go down if they're in woods defense. If they're over river in woods, guess what? If you roll either a woods or river, it's not a hit. If you're in woods and you roll any other symbol, it's a hit. If you're in the city, there are two city symbols. Again, harder to dislodge in cities. The ability to hit goes way down. Now, really, it's in the six-sided dice, it's a very high probability. Not many units have that. Most have eight or 12-sided. Now, you try to attack it a city on a 12-sider and only two faces with symbols are not city because you have two cities, a woods, and a river. So it's two out of 12 chance, one six, 16.6% chance of having success going into a city, attacking to a city. So we kept the probabilities and there are other little details. I'm not going to go into all of them, but for example, one of the cities has not only a city symbol, but also a pansa symbol on it, or an, an armored symbol. So when you're attacking a pansa 
and the pansa symbol comes up, it's not a hit. It's also a miss because it's a pansa. But pansas are not as effective in the cities. So guess what? When you're in the city and you're a pansa, you get no additional percentages. So all the exemption rules, everything built right in. It's literally a two-paragraph explanation of the rules, and you know the entire combat system. Um, there's no more rounds. There's no more I move everything and then you move. Now you get a certain amount of random as you're turning a card, how many action points you take. And these action points you can take for one action point with any fresh unit. But when that core or the Soviet officer, the Soviet commander, the Soviets move and command their units by Soviet commander and their range of command, like in Panzerkorpsgudarian, and the Germans have their cores. And their cores, they weren't cores in Germany, but um, they're, they're higher echelons of a Panzergruppe. So the, um, when you take an action with, let's say, a, a Panzerkorps, I'm just going to call it cores here, and you take an action, it costs you one action, you put a marker on it. You take an action with another unit, you put a marker on it. If you want to take an action, though, with a unit that already has a marker on it, it costs isn't one. For every marker on there, the cost goes up by one. So now, a unit that's already taken an action, it will cost a two. So it becomes more and more expensive. Now, it's up to you during your turn, as you're going through, you may want to go with other units. So it makes you, force you to spread across the entire um, Smolensk front as they're advancing on Smolensk onto Moscow, uh, the Germans, and also for the Russians trying to defend, you have the decision of, well, I turn a card, I really want to continue with this because this is where my focus as a player is, but realistically in real life, it wasn't just with one unit. The whole front had to advance. You had to do a coordinated attack. So I'm going to take an action with another unit or whenever a player wants, they just take that card, they give up everything, all the actions for that card, all the historical events, everything, reinforcements, whatever your decision is for that card, and you can reset all your units back to zero. So there are no more rounds. It's continuous play. You're continuously advancing, moving. There's, there's no more, I have to sit and wait till you do stuff. It's like our conflict of heroes on a core level, very fast play. And like our fog of war, that the action cards that give you the action points then also allow you then to take historical things that happened or reinforcements that come in, but you have to give up part of your attack logistics to do it. What are you going to do? Are you going to pull your pansa back? Because there are a lot of, uh, in, in, in every, um, I'm sorry, let me go back. You also then, where we kind of um, track the historical events of the battle, each mission will say how many of these um, action cards you put out. In these action cards, you will then add a certain amount of historical events that actually happened during this time historically or could have happened, should have happened, didn't happen, etc. due to miscommunication, you never know. And these then, a certain amount, randomly shuffled, you put one or two in this deck, as the mission tells you, and as they come up, that side can then decide to take that historical action or some other very important key thing for them. So you never know. So if you're playing like in, in August, September of the campaign, where the Germans historically pulled all their punces back and to regroup them, to refurnish them, put new motors in, 
they went through thousands of motor exchanges during this campaign where the old motors had just got beaten up by dust and wear. They tear the whole diesel motor out, put a new one in, and repair the old ones while the tanks were sent back to the front. So the Germans almost for, I don't know how many weeks, uh, four to six weeks, pulled most of their punces out of the line, had the infantry hold the line, and then redo all their punza. Well, you can do that, like historically, or you can say, no, I think I'm going to break through. I'm going to take the risk of going through. But if you do, your punces don't get renewed. They don't get back to full strength. They don't get their full capacity, and you can have them dropping out very quickly. So you can change the tactics and strategy that happened historically if you think this would be better, or you go the other way. So we're always giving you that dopamine cycle of decision-making. So again, it sounds very deep and involved, but it isn't because they are just things that come up, and it's always decisions, like in a real combat situation, like we did in conflict careers. We're trying to bring more that you as a good commander, using good tactics, good decision, taking maybe some risks sometimes, other times playing very more conservative. Even if shit goes against you, a good tactician and a good commander can usually make it to their advantage in the long term of the battle. So even if your cards come up that may help the Soviets or the Germans, and the other guy's going, oh, there's BS, you know, he helped. Well, if that's happening, pull back. Don't quit doing what you're thinking. you got to pull that flank back till you got the reinforcements, and then boom, hit in. Because the next round or the round after that, you may get other historical things that really help you. So in the long term of the battle, the lange Sicht is always the important part. So that's what we're doing with that series. Very exciting. The, the pages, the rules are only 12, 12 pages long, but we're putting all the complexities of a lot of these old games into the system into the whole play so that you can literally teach a new player in three minutes how to play, and you're playing a very deep, complex game without looking at the rules. It, it's Historically, it's such a great game. I look forward to seeing your take on it. The, the thing I, that I love about your games, which is true for, for it sounds like for this in Conflict of Heroes, <clears throat> is that once you learn the system, then you don't have to put your head in a chart. You can have your head in the map, and then what's going on there, and you know you're rolling dice or whatever, but you're not referring to charts and tables, and you're in the game the whole time. Correct, and in this one even more so. The next game in the series that's already in development is Anzio. I think Anzio, the whole campaign before and after is a little overlooked. So a lot of games are exactly Anzio when the allies landed. But let's look before and after what happened. So um, that's uh, the next game in the series. So that's going to be a new series for us. That's interesting. So what's after Anzio? Well, um, in that series, we haven't decided yet. We're doing one game at a time. But in our Frog of War series, where we did Strike of the Eagle, which was, I hate to see it, say it, of all our games, all of our games, like our Storms of Steel, we uh, came out with in uh, mid-January to the general public. We printed 7,000 copies sold out through distribution in two days, two days. So we reprinted, and we also did Awakening Bear 3rd Edition, which we didn't sell out in two days. But in that print run, we're, we only have like, it's out of distribution. We only have two pallets left that we're selling directly through our website and Amazon. Maybe some stores have them here or there. But 3rd Edition Awakening Bear also 
And we did a few thousand of those, I think 3,000 of those, because we thought, here's a game that we sold already over 50,000 of. How many more can we sell? And the third edition really is bringing in more and more gamers. It's um, We so streamlined the system with the third edition over the second and brought in more of that, what we call, you know, combat, cognizance, suppression, where you never know when your men are not going to be moving towards objective. And most people don't want to move towards battle. They'd rather sit and, in their own minds, analyze the situation before they do something rash, which means not going towards objective. But um, then we also did, of course, one of our... Um, my, one of my favorite games we've ever done, Strike of the Eagle, which is our Fog of War series. It was the Polish-Soviet War of 1919-1920. Unfortunately, that is not something that excites a lot of people. But the game system that, um, that uh, Robert Zak did, he, uh, he's out of Poland, Robert, was a phenomenal game. Phenomenal with the political, geopolitical ramifications, etc., um, such an easy game to teach, learn. Uh, it's my, what I call the, the uh, Scotland Yard of war games, where you're trying to get into the opponent's head as you're secretly placing your orders with discs face down on the map board. And you can be putting discs down to throw off the opponent, making him react to something where it's a totally fake dummy counters you're putting out, and they're wasting their, their precious resources, and your real attack is somewhere totally different. So uh, the next one that, that has been ready now for about two years is Korea 1950. Phenomenal game. Brian Asklev is the main designer on that. He did a phenomenal job, but now Gunther and I have been working on uh, modifying the historical geopolitical ramifications and building in what we call our radiant, Ford radiant storyline meaning that if you're going to do some type of political action, let's say you do decide and you're desperate and you decide to uh, detonate some nuclear bombs along the Chinese border as Americans are first being hit like crazy and thousands of Americans are dying every week, what are you going to do in desperation? Because people looked at nuclear bombs totally different, atomic bombs in the 50s as they do nowadays. Back then it was just another weapon that was to our advantage, our superiority our technological advantage it did not have the negative connotations that nuclear weaponry has nowadays so what if you would have used that well you would have played that and we're building in locks and keys like we did in our um agents of mayhem which just came out which has an over uh, i think an 8.0 or 8.1 rating on board game d um agents of mayhem just came out i think a month and a half ago and it's a phenomenal game it's it's based on the Saints Row. I'm, I'm getting away here a little real quick, but it's based on our Saints Row series, um, the video game series. And people go, oh, it's a sci-fi game, blah, blah, blah. It's based on our Fallujah urban combat game that we developed for urban combat training. And a retired lieutenant colonel working for the software company Contest says, I love that game so much. Can you do our game, our sci-fi game in this? It's all we did. Instead of having a heavy weapons unit, it's now a golem. And it's, it's a true tactical three-dimensional game. Um, if your listeners have not looked at Agents of Mayhem Pride of Babylon, please do. It is a phenomenal 3D tactical game. 
that is using a lot of what we're now using in the uh, Godarian's Harvest and some of these other games. And in that game, every action you took creates a lock or key. And in the future, as you're taking actions, if, let's say, all of a sudden you're looking for in Korean War, you drop nuclear weapons, and all of a sudden you need logistics, you need reinforcements coming in through Japan to help um, uh, fortify or coming through Pusan or, or what have you. All of a sudden, though, because you dropped the nuclear bombs, you've got this lock, and the um, reinforcement cards that you're using for your reinforcement, bring them in, has a green, let's say, key, well, that, or red key, and that red key is the same um, uh, image as that lock from the nuclear weapons. I'm sorry, it's a different image than that lock. You can't do it. Because guess what? By you dropping those nuclear bombs, it's radiated forward. And now the Japanese are totally, because we dropped nuclear bombs on them, and they did in the 50s have a great abhorrence to nuclear weaponry, all of a sudden they blockade and say no more um, uh, logistics coming through our ports. Now, of course, the Americans would force it after a few weeks, but it would have created great delays. So we're building in more of this radiant storyline. As you're doing things in the game, it actually changes your decisions in the future or the outcome of your decisions in the future. So that's held me back a little because that's my main uh, project is just taking this incredible it, – it's one of the best Korean games I've ever played. What Brian Askeleff designed was phenomenal. But now bringing our expertise of bringing in that, those subtleties – Bringing, building it into the system is very key. And, and those little subtleties are what will make a game so replayable. And you want to try it over and over again, saying, I made a sound military decision, but what were the geopolitical ramifications? Man, that's fantastic. I uh, look forward to hearing more on that, Uwe. And, you know, this might be a good time for us to cut it. And, uh, Say once again, I appreciate your time and your patience with my process. No problem. I, you know, I can just keep talking because I haven't even told you about, I'll tell you some other broadcasts, but we have a new game called a Reality Shift, a three-dimensional combat game that's played on magnetic squares. And you're moving up the sides, the, the, the front. So first one's going to be a racing game like Tron. Right. And during your turn, you're moving your cycle or you're shifting the reality where let's say you're on the side facing up on the side of this racetrack and your opponent is on the top right near the near edge, near the finish line. It's your turn. You shift that cube, flipping it over, crushing your opponent, putting you, flipping you 180 degrees over. And now you're right near the finish line. You race for the finish line. So that is going to be a phenomenal game. The second game in the series is going to be a three-dimensional combat game, space combat game. Sure. Um, that is so out there. It's never been done. We're going to keep the price really low, and it's going to be uh, – we're, we're, we're working on some cool stuff. So, But maybe some other because I've got four other games that are so out there right now, um, our Genome Project and some others – I love it. I love it, Uwe. Let's uh, let's do it. Maybe when you're not, uh, when you have more energy after your a couple of weeks after your hip surgery. <laughs> I feel great. What are you talking about? I'm just teasing, man. <laughs> you're unbelievable. I love it. 
thanks for taking the time. And, and I wish you and your family uh, good health and good times as we get through this tough spot. You know what? I'm loving it. I am playing so many prototypes. I'm getting done. I'm getting through my 1,400 open emails <laughs> that I've been through in the last few months. You said 75 a day, right? I'm trying to be 75 a day. My goal was 100. That's ah, not working. But I'm trying to get, it'll probably go faster the older they get. Yes. <laughs> but um, Yeah, when the deadlines have passed. Yeah, and you know, people go, oh, you're, you're being rude. You're ignoring my emails. You know, it's so tough because I literally get about 100 emails a day. And then I have to do everything else. And then you still have to go answer in Port Game Geek or on some of the Deutsche um, uh, message boards or on Twitter, or on Consum World, on Facebook. And people say, why aren't you answering my question? I go, where did you post it? <laughs> if you want an answer, email me, and I give you a really good chance I'll answer it. I'm trying to do it in a week, but man, it's it full time. So I'm, I'm loving this time, you know, to play games I haven't been able to play. I'm learning, my wife and I are setting up a game called Merlin. Yes. Uh, really cool mechanics to it so I'm, I'm i'm making the best and having a really looking forward loving that we live in such a great country and um i think our things are really they're gonna we we are going to come through this stronger than ever yeah agreed agreed well once again my my best to you and, and kari and the family and uh you know let's let's talk again soon we got more to talk about and you have a great great week